We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. minutes a day 365 days a year this is the pack a day podcast what's up everybody welcome back to the pack a day podcast i'm your host andy herman you can follow me on twitter at andy herman nfl my guests, as per usual, every other Monday are the one and only perry goldstein and the also one and only alex strofe who I'm excited to talk Packers with, but uh, with a little bit more of a somber feeling. I had to wear black because we are certainly in uh, mourning here. We've got the black background going. Uh, Perry, yeah, you're wearing yellow. I know Alex has got the green. I still got Packers stuff on. We don't we don't change support uh, no matter what happens. But uh, Perry, I will start with you. That was a frustrating loss. What was your gut reaction to the Packers' 23-7 to loss to the Minnesota Vikings? What did I just watch? Like, what team did I just watch I just I feel like there was a I don't know maybe I was too optimistic about both sides of the ball like maybe it was my expectations that this is just like offense growing pains and no I have nothing to say about the defense um they they played worse than they should have I don't I don't know I I have a lot of thoughts that, but that was my gut reaction was just like, this is not the team that I was expecting to come out there. There was no juice. There was no energy. There was, it's the first game. Why aren't you excited to be playing? Like why, where is that like energy? Um, yeah, I'll stop there. Alex, uh, there you, like you said, Perry, there's a lot to go over. We'll get to all of it, but Alex, what was your gut reaction? Yeah, I think Perry nailed it, right? Like, I'm flirting between whether, like, it's just week one and, you know, how it went last year. They still won 13 games. Maybe I don't want to overreact. But also, is this just how it is going to be this year, right? Is it going to be a slow burn, the growing pains, as Perry alluded to? I don't really know where I'm at yet. We're too quick removed, right? Like, for me to make a final decision on where my head's at. But, uh, yeah, it was frustrating. I'll give you that much. Yeah, so I think it's worth noting that this is week one. Uh, week one last year, also abysmal. Uh, and it, it, you can't really m- jump to any conclusions off of one game. There's a lot of football left, especially when don't have David Bakhtiari, don't have Elton Jenkins, don't have Alan Lazard. There's certainly some pieces missing to that puzzle. But certainly not a great first impression to the 2022-2023 Green Bay Packers. And I had a lot of really frustrating gut reactions to this game. Let's let's talk about the first thing of, okay, you know, you mentioned it's just one week and, you know, they, we've had this happen before and like the Packers have bounced back from, you know, opening losses and things like that. One of the things I would like Green Bay to do a, a little bit better job of is really learn from their mistakes. Because guess what? In the, those first couple of seasons in Matt Lafle- the Matt LaFleur era, it was like, well, you know what? When they travel to the West Coast and they have those long road trips, they just don't do well in those. And they crap the bed against the, the Chargers and then the 49ers. And then they had the NFC Championship game against the 49ers. And you know what? They didn't learn a thing from those first two losses. And they went and they had the same crapping the bed energy that they did in those first two West Coast games. And then, you know, you go to the playoffs, right? They win the opening game in their first playoffs, losing the championship game, losing the championship game in their second year, losing the divisional round in the third year. There was never an evolution in any of their playoffs, and they didn't learn from their first two playoff mistakes. And then the third year, they even got worse. 
Now, last year, you've got the opening game, just brutal game, don't show up in any way, shape, or form. And you're, you feel like, okay, clearly, obviously, they're not going to make that mistake again. Like, they, they are, there's no way that it's good. they're going to go into the game one and just not have energy or juice or anything. They're going to go into this fired up and ready to play because they know they crapped the bed of season. No, it was the exact same thing. They, they looked awful again. Like, can we not learn from some of the mistakes that have happened in the past and try to be crazy to me? There's zero, zero, zero excuse to not have energy. You know who had energy in that game? Zadari Smith had energy yeah, in that game. He had a lot of energy in that game. And like, how do you not get up for week one of the regular season NFC North opponent? Like when they were down 17, nothing in the, in the second quarter, you could have sworn that they were down by 40 some points. Like that was some insurmountable game that they had no chance. Like the level of just like mopiness and emo personalities on the sidelines was unbelievable i'm gonna stop my rant there i could go on for another 20 minutes but perry i know you want to jump into i tweeted this out like i said who is going to be the guy that rallies the troops when they get like this because it is inevitable that you are going to be down like you are not always going to be leading games and you just cannot be on the sidelines like self-pitying you have to find a way to like dig in deep and say, we can come back from this because eventually what's going to happen is what we saw in the 49ers game where you unfortunately have some, you know, fluky shit happen with Mercedes Lewis. And then they could never get back from that. And that's ridiculous because 17 and 0 is not some insurmountable thing. We've seen Aaron Rodgers come back from worse on a broken leg. Like (laughs) I, I just, that, that is like number one, Andy, I think honestly, to me, this game's on the coaches. Like if you, if you aren't prepared week one, that's just on coaching to me. And I know that there's a lot about like Matt LaFleur will get up there and, and, and take all the blame. And like, I kind of like good today, you know, as a good, you, you should be taking the blame. Like maybe the starter should be playing in preseason. I don't know. Maybe you got to do something before week one to get everybody on the same page. But like, this was just, I know it's a long season, but Every game counts in the NFL, and I know that the NFC is wide open, but Packers should be, like, taking that 1-0 now and and running with it. It's just – Yeah, it's frustrating, right? So I want to go back to your question, hypothetical question, Perry. You said at the beginning, right? Who's going to be the guy to rally the troops? And I, I immediately thought – you asked me that question six weeks ago. I might answer Jair Alexander. And now we saw, obviously, earlier this week he didn't get voted captain uh, after the game talking about how he wanted to cover Justin Jefferson, but the coaches didn't really let him. They weren't dropping into man a lot with him. I'm just really confused with, with Jair Alexander overall the last week, right? Why was he not on Justin? It was Eric Stokes the entire first drive. Then they mixed in some Preston Smith later on. Like it was all over the place until finally, you know, we saw some matchups, but Jair Alexander is a very confusing storyline from this game to me. Well, there are plenty of guys to answer my own question, right? Like AJ Dillon right. is the one that comes to mind he's the man i love him like any of them honestly personally i'd like to see aaron Rodgers not get angry on the sidelines and like instead go up to his guys and be like it's fine we got this like the added that kind of attitude i don't think flies but to your point i don't know how i feel about the jair alexander thing i think like Yes, it's easy to say, and I was, I'm was i guilty of this. I was sitting on the couch saying, like, why not just put Jair Alexander on Justin Jefferson? Clearly, whatever they're doing is not working. But also, like, there are two other cornerbacks that are very good, that going into this game, like, if Jair wasn't on Justin Jefferson, Stokes or Rasul, in my eyes, like, would be able to handle that. So I don't know if the solution is just, like, having Jair shadow him because there are two other corners, right? Like Adrian Amos made a really, really bad mistake, which he almost never does. Um, You know, there was just, there was just a lot of like weird things. Preston being on Justin Jefferson was, I don't know what that was, but I don't know if the shadowing and the man to man necessarily is the answer. Although whatever they were doing, wasn't working. So like maybe try something new in the second half. I don't know. I did the little finger I motion. Just stick to up for the other two cornerbacks because it's not like it's right. Jair Alexander and no one. Well, right, right. No, you're you're totally on uh, on point there. But uh, I I made the little finger motion because uh, Darnell Savage literally did a full blown 360 on one of the big Justin Jefferson catches. I, I was blown away. Andy, qu- quick thoughts. I know you want to j- jump in on this. Yeah, I do. So. <laughs> 
you know, the old Bill Belichick adage is find the person that you can't let beat you and make sure that they don't beat you. Right. Like Justin Jefferson is like, I know Delvin cook, you certainly got to make sure that he doesn't go for 200 yeah. plus yards and beat you too. And I get that. But I mean, at some point when Justin Jefferson, I mean, this is a, this is a top 10 player in the NFL. Like he's that freaking good. You have to go into that game knowing that Justin Jefferson can't be the guy that beats you. It has to be anyone else. And you also have to trust your defensive front too, which is really freaking good. Their defensive line has been the talk of training camp. Devondre Campbell, Quay Walker, Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary. You got to trust those guys that they're going to hold up at the point of attack and they're going to be able to stop the run. So that means number one target in this game for your defense to stop. In fact, the number one thing that Matt LaFleur in total should have been losing sleep over was how do you go about stopping Justin Jefferson? Obviously, you know, the, the whole defensive staff, et cetera. So when he goes for 200 yards and two touchdowns, basically, that is completely and utterly unacceptable. Now, I get that it's a lot easier said than done to just say, well, just put Jair Alexander on him. Like, just, just put Jair Alexander on him. Okay. It's not quite that easy. Because you, that, unless you're playing man-to-man the entire game, which they're not going to do, you can't just put Jair in motion wherever he goes and, and play him in every single down situation. That being said, two things. A, you can still put Jair in motion with him. If your defense is sophisticated enough, which there's no reason that it shouldn't be in our the year of our Matt LaFleur 2022, like there's no reason that you still can't put him in motion and at least give the illusion that you are in man coverage with Jair Alexander covering Justin Jefferson. Now you might not be in man, you might be in zone and that might mean Justin Jefferson gets some advantageous looks elsewhere, but at least give the illusion that, you know what? Our number one guy is covering Justin Jefferson. And then you can still mix in some man concepts or you can play a mix of man and zone. You can do a lot of things. You can play zone coverage with a one-man man coverage. Just say, you know what, Jair, you go wherever Justin Jefferson's going. We can still have zone principles everywhere else on the field. We can figure out, like, there are a lot of different ways to do that. Also, more importantly, even if it's not Jair Alexander, even if you can't figure out a way to get Jair Alexander on Justin Jefferson, you have to have a better plan than that. Whether it's a safety constantly over the top of him, whether it is bracketing him, whether it is any, literally anything else, you can't have a half of football where he puts up almost 200 in the first half with guys like Quay Walker and Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage and a variety of other non-corners covering Justin Jefferson or my favorite coverage of all, the nobody coverage covers Justin Jefferson. <laughs> so that can't happen. And I think that's where when Perry, you're mentioning that this is more on the coaching staff. When I watch the individual matchups, when I watch the one-on-ones in this game, Packers defensive front against Vikings offensive line, when I watched for the most part in man situations, Packer corners versus Viking wide receivers, when I watched those individual matchups in this game, I actually thought the Packer players were winning more often than not. Not perfect, not as good as it should have been, not as, as good as I would have liked it to have been, but I thought they were winning the individual matchups more often than not. To me, defensively, this was a coaching malpractice and a coaching breakdown to let Justin Jefferson have what he wanted in this game. Yes, the Vikings used motions and they used them in different spots. Guess what? If it were just that easy, Devontae Adams, the last three years going in motions and going in bunch formations would have been completely unstoppable. It doesn't work that way. You have to have a plan for it. Green Bay didn't, and they lost because of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfectly said. I mean, I think the, I, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, well said. <laughs> what? I, I think also I, my expectation going to this game was that, like, to me, the weakness on the Vikings offense is their offensive line. Right. And so knowing what we know about our defensive front, I was thinking there'd be way more pressure on Kirk cousins. He had like pretty much nobody in his face. Rashawn had one sack fine, but they, it it made the job of the secondary a lot harder. I thought because the pressure just wasn't really there, which is weird given the person. But here's the other thing. And listen, the the Packers defense at fault here too, because they, they get the opening, you know, the opening job of playing on defense right from the get-go Packers win the toss and decide to defer. They it's zero, zero at that point, Vikings go right down their throat and score a touchdown. Right. But, which is it what is always lot. happens to the Packers defense. It is. I didn't go. Yes. Yep. Totally agreed. And that needs to get fixed. Clearly that said, 
they played from behind the entirety of this game and were down 17 nothing in the second quarter. It is so much harder to play defense when the offense can be unpredictable. When you have to, when everything's at the opposing offense's disposal, and you don't know if it's going to be a run, you don't know if it's going to be a pass, you don't know if it's going to be play action, and you just have to be ready for everything, right? And there were very few third and longs that Green Bay was able to get Minnesota in. And when you don't have third and longs, and when the offense is playing unpredictable, meaning they can run, pass, play action, everything it just makes it really hard to tee off on the quarterback because you have to play your assignment first, make sure that you're covering your lane, make sure you're covering your gap, make sure you're holding up at the point of attack. And then now that the offensive lineman is already set in their stance and good to go, now you've got to find a way. Quarterback's already a second into their drop. Now you've got to find a way to beat that player and somehow get to the quarterback. So them, you know, Green Bay's offense not doing this defense any favors and completely playing from behind the entirety of the game and allowing Minnesota to just kind of open up their offense it's, it's really tough to get pressure consistently in those situations and scenarios. I'm not giving Green Bay's defense a pass because, uh, again, they have 0-0 and the Vikings stuffed the ball right down their throats. But um, it makes it a lot harder to play pressure defense when the opposing team is winning by double digits the entire game and you don't get into very many third and long situations. Yeah, o- offensively it looks I don't want to say incompetent, but it was pretty darn close, right? Like Andy, I know you tweeted this, but just to run down the 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 drive summary for the Packers: punt, punt downs, punt interception, end of half, fumble, touchdown, punt downs, end of game. Like that's that's a brutal, brutal line for an Aaron Rodgers led offense. It is, and he, here's the thing, right? Like for anyone that knows me, listens to me, watches me, anything like you're not going to get too many hot takes out of me after one week, right? Like it's one week. And I told, I said it before the game, I'll say it now. Green Bay is going to be fine. They're going to be a playoff team. And what matters comes in January and February, they're going to get reinforcements along the offensive line at some point. Um, they, They are going to be just fine. I have no concerns in that whatsoever. At the same token, like, I talked to Perry about this offline, Alex, before you joined. And obviously before anyone had a chance to listen, like when this team craps the bed, they, they seemingly really crap the bed. And my bigger concern, you know, sort of out of this game is like, is this team and is this the identity of this team as a little bit more of a front runner? Because like when they're going well and when they're winning games and when they're playing from ahead, this team overall over the course of the Matt LaFleur era has looked pretty darn good. But when they have not, when they get behind or when they are in disadvantageous situations, like Perry, you mentioned some of the fumbles that have happened in playoff games, like you see the body language change. You see them get down on themselves. And it's just like, they're like, I guess we're going to have to, you know, like we'll play, you know, better next week or whatever. Like, I don't know what to make of that, but there does seem to be a little bit of an identity where they need to figure out when crap goes wrong, how can we get the ship turned around? And I, I just haven't seen that a ton out of this team. Yeah, you know it's bad when Kevin Burkhart and the Fox crew are literally panning to every player on the Packers sideline prior to half and, and commenting on the negative body language. Like, yeah, that's not ideal uh, an hour into the first week of the season, right? Like, that's that's not good. And to your point, Andy, I think there's very few exceptions to the rule of when the Packers lose under Matt LaFleur, they lose big. Like, this is this has been a common th- theme now into his fourth year as the head coach. Uh, with with maybe one or two exceptions to the rule, it's uh, it's it's really wild. But but to your point, they'll figure it out. It's going to be a playoff team. They'll probably still win the North as as good as the Vikings may have looked today uh, against the Packers. But I don't know that that's going to continue to be the theme throughout the remainder of the season. So uh, yeah, it's 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 incredibly frustrating. Another big loss and another big loss in Week One, as as we commented about earlier. I mean, people, including me, were just recycling tweets from last year, right? Like it, it was it was it was as big as a disaster. I know the score doesn't indicate it as such, and Aaron Rodgers kind of downplayed it after the game, but. It was, it was as big of a disaster as it was a year ago, Perry. I mean, I just think the more I think about it, though, yes, Justin Jefferson went off. But other than that, like, Packers held them to 23 points. That's something that the this offense should theoretically be able to overcome. Like, the oh. more that I'm listening to Andy talk and the more I'm, like, digesting this game, I'm thinking, like, sure, it was hard to watch this defense get beat by one player. It kind of reminded me of the Dalvin cook game that he had four t- where he had four touchdowns where it's just like, you know who you need to stop. Why aren't you doing it? But at the same time, like the defense held them to 23 points. Like that's the offense should have been able to score more. Am I, am I just trying to make myself feel better here? Or is that not? Yeah, But, but also I, I think it's fair, right? Like 
it's I, I said it before, right? It's an Aaron Rodgers-led offense. And I know there's going to be growing pains. I know you're without Bakhtiari and Jenkins, and, and Lazard obviously didn't play today. So you're missing some of those key guys offensively. But to go back to the, the playoff game in January, right, it, it was kind of the same issue. The offense wasn't scoring enough, uh, led by, the, the, the at that point, back-to-back league MVP. So, yeah, I, I, I get your point. And, and the defense, it wasn't all negative, but I would have liked to see more than one sack on Kirk Cousins, as you, as you pointed out, Perry. Like, the, the offensive line was was the weakest link on that Minnesota offense, and there was only one sack. There was a couple pressures, but – uh, if Aaron Rodgers is getting sacked four times, you're hoping the Packers can do at least half that in return. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I get why, you know, we're trying to take the upside, trying to make ourselves feel better, but it is what it is, right? Like I, I will keep going back to the point of it is only week one. We saw this last year, they figured it out, but there are, you know, there are new question marks this year that, that weren't there last year. So maybe we should be overreacting. I don't, I don't really know where to stand yet. Like I'm, I, I, I need to see week two. Week two can't come fast enough, I guess, is kind of where I'm at right now. Because is this a one-week thing? Is this the lack of playing in the preseason? Which I don't really like that narrative to begin with. But it looks like it gained steam after, you know, they came out as flat as they did today offensively. So it's uh, it's uh, frustrating is going to continue to be my word of the night. Yeah. Sorry, I dropped out there for a second. Not sure what oh, yeah. happened. But um Going back to the, the last thing I heard from Perry before is like, you know, the defense, you know, played, you know, not maybe not as terrible as it looked at first glance. And I, I definitely think there's pieces of that. I saw glances, you know, glimpses from this defense where I think they were what we kind of hoped they would be. Right. So included in this game for the Packers or for the Vikings offense was these drives, three plays, negative five yards, punt, five plays, 20 yards, punt, three plays, one yard, punt, four plays, negative five yards, field goal. More on that in a second. Five plays, 20 yards, punt. Seven plays, 34 yards, punt. Those drives, 27 plays, 65 yards, five punts. And we talk about them putting up 23 points, right? Three of those points were due to, you know, they, they, gave, they, they you know, stopped the other, the Vikings. They held them to negative five yards on the drive and they still got the field goal, right? That's not on the defense. So the defense allowed four drives for 20 points in the entirety of the game. And yes, those other four drives, 76 or 78 yards touchdown, 89 yards field goal, 74 yards touchdown, 74 yards field goal. That's bad. Those four drives, very bad, very ugly. But if you hold an, you know, an Aaron Rodgers opponent more often than not to, you know, 20 points, that was actually the defense's fault. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to win that that matchup more often than not. Like 20 points for an NFL defense is a good day at the office. And again, that's, I- that's my that's my point, right? Yeah. Like the 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 drives were really ugly when they scored because they were clearly so beat by one player. But yep. at the end of the day, if you take like the emotion and all that thought out of it, and you just told me Packers defense only gave up whatever is 20 points on them. I'd be like, okay. I mean, I take that next week, you know, like I take it every day. So you can, I feel like it's good to point out, you know, areas they clearly need to improve on, but they're also not going to go up against a Justin Jefferson every single week and hopefully have a better game plan when they do. And 20 points is for, it's really hard to play defense these days. Look at the chiefs tonight. They put up like 44 points. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is, uh, if they scored 23 or if they only allowed 23 points in every game last year, they would have uh, went, they would have only lost four games, which is exactly what they lost last yeah. year. So like you're going to win that far more often than not. And again, it's not to say that the defense gets a, a pure pass on this because right. they allowed 400 yards. They allowed four huge drives. They allowed Justin Jefferson to beat them. They created no turnovers. They got one sack. Like a lot of that's not good enough. And Minnesota had sort of the luxury of not like needing to go down and get points, right? A lot of it was ball control offense and just trying to milk some clock and not turn over the ball and those sort of things. So it's not like the defense was put in a ton of high pressure situations, especially in the second half. So again, I'm not giving the defense a full pass, but I'm also, I'm not putting the blame on this game on the defense. That's for darn sure. Um, This was, this was an offensive loss. And I know that, you know, we've spent a lot of time already talking about, you know, some of the body language and clearly about letting Justin Jefferson beat them, which I think is a lot of the huge narrative here. But this offense was an absolute grind throughout the course of the day. They had one chance at an explosive. They dropped it. And then everything else 
was so insanely hard. And they had the one drive that resulted in a touchdown, the one drive that they get, you know, stuffed on the one yard line. And that's another opportunity where like, Hey, they, I mean, that should have been 21 points. Right. But like, man, when you are in that much of a grind offensively, you cannot let your opportunities go, you know, go to waste and failing on a fourth and one at the one inch yard line and failing on a 75 yard completion. That's there for the taking um, due to just a pure drop. Like those things can't happen. And that to me, that it was a bigger, it was a bigger fail on offense than anything else. Yeah. Can, can we talk about the, the fourth and, and goal? Because this seems to be, if we're talking about not learning from mistakes, this seems to be another area where Matt LaFleur has a really hard time. I I probably have to go back and look, so I don't know if I actually want to sit here and blame it on Matt LaFleur's play calling, but it does seem to me like those really, really shortened goals, he struggles mightily in calling things that actually result in a touchdown. And I guess giving it to A.J. Dillon in that scenario, like, Sure, you want to give it to your your huge back, but I don't know. In my head, I was actually sitting there thinking, like, I would just take the field goal here, take the points, and not have a big old zero. I, I like the decision to go for it. No, I mean, if you're at the one inch yard line, like you, you got to try to get points there in my opinion. So like, I'm okay with the decision. And I think that play was actually the entire offensive day, like in one play, because Like the play is, has basically three different options on it. You've got a pass in the flat. If Rogers is looking there first to see what the coverage is. And then after that, he has the ability to read the defensive end, hand it to uh, Dylan or not. And then based off of the defensive end is crashing. Rogers has the ability to keep. And he said in the post game presser, he should have just kept it. Um, He has the opportunity to keep and just potentially run in for a touchdown as well. And to me, this was the entire day in a nutshell. The pat or the the Vikings disguised the coverage perfectly. The the weapons on the outside didn't get open, so Rodgers didn't have the look. You know he has the read. He actually made the wrong read, which quietly I thought there were a lot of opportunities for Rodgers in this game that he missed. Some opportunities to convert on first downs that he missed. This was not a good Aaron Rodgers game, but he missed the read with the defender crashing down. You keep in that situation. Instead, he hands off. And guess what? Even if he hands off in that situation, if the offensive line gets any movement whatsoever, we know A.J. Dillon's going to do the rest of the work. And every Packer fan for since A.J. Dillon's got here now has been saying, you're on the one-yard line. Just give it to A.J. Dillon. Just give it to A.J. Dillon. Like, that's been the play call everyone's just been wanting is to give the ball to A.J. Dillon. Well, that sounds great, but if your offensive line can't get any movement, which was a problem in a lot of that game, it's not going to do anything. So you had a, you know, good coverage by the Vikings and, you know, receivers not being able to get off coverage. You had a poor read by Rogers and you had an offensive line that couldn't get any movement in the running game in one play. They've got three options. And if Rogers kept on the last option, they have a touchdown out of it, but that was like the entire day in a nutshell in just one play, nothing could have gone. Not, no, no option on that play was executed well. And they had three of them. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. 
Yeah, I mean, Andy just keeps nailing it on the head, Perry. Like, it, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it it, it it sums it up in one play. It was uh, pretty much a disaster. Everything that could have gone wrong, as he said, went wrong. And, you know, it's fun to theorize, right? Like, it's fun to do the thing where, you know, they did score seven points, but if they convert that on, on fourth and one, fourth and goal, it's 14. If Christian Watson catches the first pass ever thrown his direction – that's another seven, and you feel for the kid because it's yeah, you know he's being asked to do more with Alan Lazard out, and obviously with Devontae and MBS gone this year. But that's a pass he got to catch. So it's just it's uh, you feel for him. You're glad it's week one and not a playoff game, but uh, brutal, brutal. Fun to theorize though. I mean, I guess they could add twenty one. <laughs> I don't like the what ifs because I feel like a yeah. good game plan should like you should have other opportunities to make up for that. You know what I mean? Like the defense is going to play and they're also going to make good plays. Now that's obviously like, I mean, Christian Watson was wide open. There's, there's nothing the defense did there. He just dropped it. But again, like very first play, very first game, very loud. Like, I don't know. I liked the look of it um, going to him. I kind of wish they had gone back to him. Is that a crazy thing to say? Like I kind of wish they had like in the second half tried it again. And just like, he may have like felt, I just think something had to give because I agree, Andy, it was such a grind and the things that working were working, namely the run game and AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones were only really working in spurts and not like cohesive. There was no like one, you know, how a lot of times, in in certain games, Matt LaFleur's, you look at a drive and you're like, that was gorgeous. Like all the yeah. way through, that was beautiful. That was so, like, there was no drive like that in no. this. And that just may be that they're missing, you know, 17 and, and they just have to figure out who's going to be that person. I mean, Sammy Watkins was quiet. Randall Cobb didn't really do much. Tunyon had a couple of catchers. There was no, no one really stepped up, I guess, besides the running backs. What, what would you say? I'll let either of you go in any direction here. What would you say was the game plan on offense in this game? <laughs> I <laughs> actually don't know. I, I, no, I, that's ben the right Fennell answer. Tweeted this out. Ben Fennell tweeted this like halfway through the game. And I've been thinking about it since I saw this tweet about three hours ago. And I do not have an answer. Yeah. I've, I don't know how you answer it. And that, that's, that's an issue. Right? Like, I will say that like one of your jobs as an OC is to scheme up a play that can get you guys like get points for the team. And they did that on the very first play of the game that should result in seven, just on a a really great play call and a really good, you know, route and everything else. They clearly saw something where they thought they might be able to get an opportunity deep. They had it should have had seven on that. And, uh, but after that, I mean, I mean, Rogers mentioned the post game presser that they need to get it outside the numbers more. Okay. But like to who, like, you know, (laughs) Uh, Sammy Watkins looked like seven steps too slow. And I know that Rogers yeah. and also in his presser is like, Hey, Sammy's been great in practice. Well, I mean, man, that one play where they got it to like him in the flat on the outside. Like if you would have said like who wins in a race, him or Zach Tom, like I'm taking Zach Tom. Like that's, that's where <laughs> things were at. Not turn and go up the field. No, like, like not. yeah. So, you know, offensively, I, I think this is a really tough no man's land scenario for this team right now. What I mean by that is like, when you're without Bakhtiari and Jenkins and then part of the game without Runyon, you're missing your three best offensive linemen and clearly your two best offensive linemen. And like, it's going to be, you've got to get rid of the ball quick. You're going to have to sort of scheme some stuff and you're going to have to just try to get the ball out of your hands. But what we saw was a lot of, all right, we're going to dump it in the flat and hope somebody can do stuff. Well, Minnesota's defense, a, their corners, while not great from a speed standpoint and can get beat deep, very good at coming up and tackling. Eric Kendricks, Jordan Hicks, same thing. Two veterans, very good tacklers in the middle of the field. Harrison Smith, phenomenal tackler from the, the you know secondary and being able to come up and make plays. This is not necessarily the defense that you want to just be able to, you know, get a throw in the flat and then all of a sudden, you know, hope that they can make four or five people miss. Also, outside of Christian Watson, maybe, and maybe we'll see this eventually. It's not like they have a ton of players that are just making people miss a bunch of people in the open field. So like, you don't have that guy on offense. You don't have the offensive line that can hold up to develop some of those longer plays to attack the secondary. And you don't have guys on the outside that are giving the Minnesota corners enough issue that they're like, the Vikings are playing a lot of like short stuff in the middle of the field. They're not concerned about your guys on the outside. So like as a defensive coordinator, you're, you got the luxury of just 
basically doing whatever the heck that you want and not having to have too much concern over things. And for the Packers, like it is going to be an insane grind until they get into a rhythm, until they have guys who can win on the outside and actually catch the pass. And until they, sorry, go ahead. I'll let you. No, I just think that's, that's why I wish they'd gone back to some yeah. kind of deep shot because you're right. Like they just, they were crunched in and they didn't try. And the, you said it, the Vikings don't, they have really young corners. Like Rogers, I was expecting him to kind of pick on them a little bit, even if it was to the rookie wide receivers, maybe they're going to drop a couple passes, but you have to do something to like push them up and then you can get the run game going a little bit better. It was, it was very poor complimentary football, right? Because they did try some rollouts and deep stuff. That's where the fumble and the Z hit happened. That's where the, you know, they, they tried to get a long developing play. That's where the interception to Cobb, like that they tried to do to Cobb happened. Like there were multiple times where they tried to get rollouts or play. They did the, what, guitar fake with Aaron Rodgers, where he tried to get rolling out to the outside and fake everyone out. But that stuff all sounds great until you're down by double digits and you're not running the ball and the two safeties are just staying deeper than the deep and the corners are, are staying back and the linebackers are staying back and saying, all right, well, like throw it down to take your check downs. We're just going to tackle you. And we're not concerned. Like we're not going to buy on all your, your motion and your jets and your, your play actions and everything else. And that's where I think this team is a bit in no man's land offensively because they, they just need ideal conditions right now. And as soon as things aren't in an ideal condition, that's where we're going to see these type of outputs because they don't have wide receivers that can easily separate and they don't have an offensive line that can protect for that long. So, and if you're not running the football or you can't, cause you're down 17 points, those are the, I think some of the results we're going to see until this team gets healthy and gets in a rhythm. Given the lack of what we learned from the offense today, how does Alan Lazard change things? Does that move the needle a lot, a little, not a ton? Like what are we expecting Alan Lazard, how will he change the complexity of what we saw in week one? Perry, you seem like you're ready to jump through a wall. No, so it's a really it. good question. It's a really, really good question. I don't know. I think I think one of my biggest takeaways from this game is that it was not a Matt LaFleur offense. It was no. Aaron Rodgers holding the ball. It was him scrambling, trying to extend plays. All the things that he just no longer does well, unfortunately – he was doing. And so maybe that works, right? If you do have an Alan Lazard who's on the same page as Rogers and you maybe get a couple more completions out of this game, but now you've got Sammy Watkins and two rookies who don't do the scramble drill with Roger. They're not there yet with him, right? They're not going to come back to the ball for him. Like he likes, they're not going to know what to do. And so you have him taking sacks or throwing the ball away. I wish he threw the ball away more. So my thought, Alex, is maybe you just get a little bit more like chemistry with Rodgers and he's there. Yeah. But I don't know what Lazard, because Lazard's not, we know what Lazard, I don't know. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling now. No, I get it. Um, and I'll be the guy that brings up this stat, not that it matters at all, but Devontae Adams was targeted 17 times on Sunday, that which is wild uh, for, for Las Vegas. Com complete side note, just wanted to bring that up. It, it and just, they lost it, too, right? Like they, yeah, yeah. they, they yeah. did, they did, but still, you know, it's like, well, God, <laughs> that would have been helpful today, right? If, if, if Rogers had a security blanket, I mean, because we talked about it all off season. I don't really remember a season where Aaron Rodgers didn't have a true number one guy, especially now with, with Lazard out here in week one, he didn't have a real number two guy, I would argue. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just weird. I mean, we've been waiting all offseason to finally see what this offense is. And my big takeaway from Sunday's game is I don't know what this offense is, right? So I, that's why I keep calling it frustrating because I thought I was going to learn a lot today, and I, I really don't feel like I did. I think that's fair. So let's talk about the, the elder elephant in the room that I know is going to be the narrative is that the Packers didn't play their starters in the preseason. The first thing I'll say is that neither did the Minnesota Vikings. Didn't seem to affect them too much. I do know... Yeah, I, I know people have pointed out, guess what? The Vikings have had Kirk Cousins and Delvin Cook and Irv Smith Jr. and Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson, basically this entire offensive line. This is a cohesive offense that's played together before. For the most part on the defense, Daniil Hunter, uh, Harrison Smith, these corners, Eric Kendricks, this defense for the most part, besides adding in a, a Zadarius Smith and a Harrison Phillips, has played together before. Now it's a new coaching staff, new three, four defense. So uh, yeah, I don't buy it entirely. I, I don't think that this, <laughs> I, I don't know if, if the starters play too dry or like two series in preseason, like the narrative probably dies. And I don't think the result in this game changes at all. 
Um, I, I'm more disappointed in the energy effort and preparation and, and like the, the coaching decisions that went into this game, um, where they decided to attack on offense, how they decided to stop Justin Jefferson. I thought this was more game plans. I thought they got out coached, out game planned, out schemed and out, you know, energized than I thought they, I didn't think this was like a, well, they didn't play in preseason thing, but thoughts on that narrative that's, you know, undoubtedly going to come up. I'm deferring to you, Perry. Go for it. Ah, I hate the narrative. I, I, I touched on it a bit earlier. I'm with you, Andy. Like, that is the ultimate comeback. Neither are the Vikings, right? So I, I, I get it's been two years in a row now where they've come out really flat in week one, and I understand how frustrating that is for fans, right? Um, but we've been doing this for several years now, and it, it, it doesn't always seem to be this way. And while they come out flat, and obviously – both the last two years, the season has both ended disappointingly and then started that way. I understand why we sit here and overreact and, and, you know, we want to say, yes, chemistry would be built more in live game reps. I get that. I also like to defer to the side of, I don't want Aaron Rodgers getting injured in the preseason. Uh, Jordy Nelson changed my tune on that when that happened to him in Pittsburgh several years ago now. Um, and, and that is pretty much my biggest thing. I want Aaron Rodgers healthy week one. And I get you can build the chemistry and maybe it would have affected things a little tiny bit, but these are guys that are practicing together every single day of the week. These are guys that are doing live game reps within, um, within practice. So it's just, it's, it's very frustrating. Perry, this narrative, I I just don't even want to riff on it anymore. They'll be fine by next week. Like they're going to come out with more juice. The biggest issue is the lack of energy they showed today. Maybe not the biggest issue, but one of the biggest issues and I, I, I'm intrigued to see what they what they come out with next week when they're actually in Lambo. It's hard to have an opinion on that. Like, I feel like we talked about this last year, right? And then they went 13 and four. And you kind of think about week one, and you're saying, man, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So if the Packers have a great season again, we're going to look again and we're going to say, meh, I don't know if it really matters until somebody has to decide that it matters. So I'm not going to like lean into any kind of narrative this week on it. If they're starting to come out flat next week and the following week, okay, then we can need to talk about like what's going on with this game plan, but I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's tough to glean too much from one game and it's totality. We're just, we're, some of these things are going to be best answered a few weeks from now when yes. we see where the Packers are at, at this time, but it doesn't ease any of the frustration from a game where they played like complete and total garbage. That's for sure. For the night. Right, let's, uh, Let's go uh, sort of lightning round through the rest of these because I do think these are important things to get to, but yeah. uh, inactives. And more importantly, no Bakhtiari, no Jenkins. Uh, it sounds like, according to Ryan Wood, that Bakhtiari is likely out against the Bears already next week. And it sounds like, you know, maybe they may handle Elton Jenkins the same week. I know this is a long term plan, but. I don't know where else to go with this from a David Bakhtiari standpoint of like what's next. And I feel bad for the guy and I know that they need to take a long-term approach, but man, Chris Godwin week 15 ACL tear last year. Here he is. Pretty darn good against the Cowboys on Sunday night football in week one of the regular season, David Bakhtiari end of the season injury two years ago. And I know it's not the same injury. I know there've been multiple surgeries since, but that started the the entire downward spiral. And here we are now going into uh, potentially week three, if he doesn't play week two, week three of 2022 and potentially still no David Bakhtiari. I am really concerned. I feel like I've been holding it back because it's not, I, I, I don't know why I've been holding it in. I think out of optimism, but I'm getting to the point where I'm really, really concerned about it. Um, Robert Tunyon played tonight. He looked fine. And he also tore his ACL. And I get it. They're completely different players. Bach has a different body type. It's a just rougher on your lower half to be. And, and there's different types of ACL injuries. Right. But like, I'm getting to a point where I'm very concerned that he's not going to come back. I hate even putting it out into the universe, but like you said, Andy, it's been a, it's been a long time now and he keeps having setback after setback and he can't stack practices. He can't even get a full week of practice in something's going on. I I don't know what to compare it to, right? Like I can't remember a player missing almost two years of football from anything like, um, like outside of career ending injuries. I don't ever remember being like, 
oh, they just got back from their 21 month absence and now they're good to go. Like, yeah, I can't think of anyone. Maybe there's been somebody, but it certainly alludes me to a player that's had a 20 to 21 month injury and then came back just perfect. Like, I don't know. I, I, I know this is like a, a bummer of an episode when we're talking about a brutal loss and Bakhtiari still not playing and having concerns over his long-term health. But man, I know, yeah, I'm hoping he's back sooner rather than later and he can play the rest of the season. But that just, I think that that has to be a blow for the team too, of like maybe totally. having some hope that he's going to play. And then, you know, again, he may be out a couple of weeks now, at least who knows. The wacky, wacky ride this has been, right? And, and as you said, Andy, like you feel so damn bad for the guy because obviously he would be back if he could be. Um, but, you know, to Perry's point, it's been, okay, we have a reason for optimism. He's not being put on the pup list to start the season. And then it's, okay, he's out week one. And I didn't hear the Ryan Wood news you just reported, Andy, until you said it. So for our video viewers, um, I apologize for my nasty reaction. But it's it, it's so brutal. Like, this is this is this was a guy you thought would be the cornerstone of the Green Bay Packers for the next decade. Like that is straight up what you thought David Bakhtiari was. That's why you extended him. That's why you gave him so much money. And uh, now he just can't find his way back in, uh, onto the field because it's setback after setback after setback. This tells me there's been another one. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical professional. But when we go three weeks ago to thinking, yeah, he should be ready or might be ready for week number one, to now already potentially ruling him out. It sounds like Andy. I don't want to. I want. I don't want to misphrase. But it sounds like potentially ruled out for next week's game a week ahead of time. That just indicates to me there's been another setback, right? Like I, I'm not insane in, in reading into it that way, right? Yeah, I'm trying to see if I can find the exact uh, verbiage from Ryan Wood, um, but I will find that and we will get there. Yeah, I'll um, just say, Perry, you're not overreacting. Like I, I know you don't want to put it into the ether, yeah. but I am right there with you, sister. Like yeah. this is brutal. Like you, you do not. This, this, this is just not normal. It's not normal. And you know, if he does come back, and I really, really, really hope he does soon, what percentage of his old self is he? And that's that's going to be that could even be more potentially heartbreaking than this already has been. Twenty one months later, right? Like. What is he going to be if and when he does return to the field? Uh, what a downer of an episode, Andy. You're not kidding. Wow. This, I mean, this I stinks. think that they're holding him back in the hopes that he is 100%, right? Like, I, I think if David Bakhtiari is coming back, then he's going to be David Bakhtiari, right? Like, they could probably, I don't know, maybe I'm. Well, hold on. So, like, rather than the Lions game and he wasn't ready and he wasn't himself. Right. And so that's the guy that we saw. And then it it was it wasn't a good idea. So I think, like, if he's coming back, I'm expecting 100 percent because I don't think you hold someone out unless like for uh, for any other reason. Um, My one piece of optimism. And I again, I hate that I'm putting this into the universe, but here we go. Left tackle is so important. It is like the second most important position besides your quarterback. And luckily the Packers have two players on the offensive line who I think can slot into that quite nicely. If David Bakhtiari does not come back, right? Like Yash has played great, but you can very easily put Elton out there. And I think the Packers will be just fine. So I hate to put that out there, but I feel okay long-term about them at that position. And at first glance, I didn't think Yash had a bad game, actually. I don't like this is not as simple as like, oh, you get David Bakhtiari back and offense is good to go. Like it's like Yash at first glance. And even on some of the rewatch that I got through so far, I was watching him a little bit closer. Yash had a bad game. I don't think they lost this game because of Yash and Iman. So um, but here was the quote. Uh, David Bakhtiari will be inactive in today's opener at the Vikings, a source said. Packers taking long-term view of Bakhtiari's return, knowing there is no need to rush him back early in the season. Source said Bakhtiari is also likely to miss next week home next week's home opener versus the Bears. All right, so best-case scenario, they're being conservative. Worst-case scenario, there's been another setback, right? Like, that's that's the way I would I would take that news. Yeah, I mean, when when Lafleur was asked about it end of week last week, he had he wanted nothing to do with it. Like he's like, I'm done talking about this. Like, I, I don't know if that's a setback or he's just frustrated or what, but like, or just doesn't want to talk about it anymore. But clearly, Lafleur did not want to talk about it anymore. And to me, that's almost telling in and of itself. Um, so we're just gonna have to take a wait and see approach on those. Um, one other thing from an offensive game plan sort of thing that I just wanted to touch base on really quick, just because we're having such a fun time already. Uh, Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. When they were involved in the offense, they had 25 total touches slash targets. There were a couple incompletions in there, so we'll count those as well. 25 total touches slash targets, 155 yards, one touchdown, 6.2 yards per play. Now, this doesn't include all of like the Jordan Love, uh, you know, 
garbage time stuff at the end, but 25 total targets, 155 yards, one touchdown, 6.2 yards per play. Pretty darn good. How about any other time they were on offense? 31 plays, 118 yards, no touchdowns, 3.8. I will repeat 3.8 yards per play. So Jones, Dylan, good. Everything else, just dumpster fire basically is what we're going to boil that down to. So you would have liked, I don't know, Aaron Jones to get a little bit more than eight touches in the game. That would yeah. seem like a good idea. And maybe more than 25 total touches for arguably your two best players on offense. So that was intriguing to say the least. Now, offensive line, not blocking the best at certain times was, you know, maybe in, you know, a consideration there, but you got to find a way to get the ball in both of their hands. And then the other thing too, and I will, I went into the game saying like, I think Jake Hansen will be okay. I was actually more concerned about Royce Newman at right tackle. Um, I still said I would have started Zach Tom, but at first glance, Zach Tom looked pretty darn good at left guard when he went in for John Runyon Jr. And Jake Hansen did not look good throughout no, the course of that game. No. That seems to be another thing where like probably would have been better with Zach Tom than Jake Hansen, which to everyone else's on Twitter and everywhere else's defense, literally everyone said, hey, how about Zach Tom instead of Jake Hansen? How about, how about Zach Tom instead of Jake Hansen? Got to think that maybe would have helped some things as well. Maybe it doesn't. I am going to lose my mind over this. Like, I don't know how many times I can say it on this podcast. Like, I am not a fan of Jake Hansen. I'm sorry. Like, Zach Tom is – the offense completely changed when he went in. Now they still couldn't score, but it got better at least. Like, oh, my God. I just – I know that I'm not Adam Stenovich, and I know I'm not an guru, <laughs> and I hate sometimes being an armchair GM, but to the naked eye, it is very clear who is the better offensive lineman here. And, and not only that, right? Because maybe, maybe there's a world in which, listen, the coaching staff has seen these guys. Maybe Zach Tom's not picking up on the audibles. Maybe he's not picking up on like some part of the game that's insanely important. Like those are tough things for us to know, right? There's clearly a reason why they like Jake Hansen more than Zach Tom going into that game. But not only does Zach Tom look like the better player right now, he's also clearly the better long-term developmental player than either Royce Newman or Jake Hansen. So if you're already going into this of like, Hey, we need to take a long-term approach with this offensive line. We're going to let Bakhtiari and Jenkins, you know, sort of, you know, get, you know, get their rest and we'll play them later in the season. Well, maybe you should also take a long-term approach and say like, Hey, let's get the guy out there. That's going to be probably a long-term starter for this offensive line. And Zach Tom, let him get some reps and let him start developing so that you can put ultimately your best five out there, which at some point you're hoping is probably Bakhtiari, John Runyon Jr., Josh Meyer, Zach Tom, and Elton Jenkins. I would love to see Zach Tom get those reps, and he didn't. That's another coaching thing. But wait. Uh, Oh, go ahead, Alex. No, I was just going to say, I've always said, I I don't know offensive line play very well. Andy, you seem to be the local expert on that stuff. But if I hear Jake Hansen's name on the national broadcast eight times, that's probably not a good thing, right? Like, that's probably a bad indication of how things are going. Um, so he got now pa- by Zedarius. <laughs> he sure did. He dragged sure did. him into the sack. Yeah, no, no kidding. And, and with Perry getting all fired up now, I'm getting more fired up. We have officially reached the mental breakdown portion of the Pack a Day post game show. So here we go. Let's ride for another 20 minutes. Goodness gracious. But, but wait, brutal. There's oh, more. Know, there's more. Great. There's, Thanks, there's, in, there's injury to insult because the Packers did not get out of this game with a clean slate of health either. There are significant injuries that we also get to discuss. Most notably, Chris Barnes, who clearly is going to be out a significant period of time, probably through the remainder of the season. So that is a brutal loss because talk about a guy who has done nothing but do things the right way since the day that he got to Green Bay. And he, listen, he could have been ticked off and upset that, you know, Quay Walker just walks in first round pick and takes his spot. He grinded. They played some three linebacker sets. You know why? Because Chris Barnes kept working and kept playing hard and he got on the field. And you know what? When Quay Walker went down with an injury, love that too. Uh, guess who stepped up and started to play what? Well? Chris Barnes right in there. Good to go. And then he has that brutal injury. So that's just another kick in the, you know what? And then uh, you have Quay Walker going out with an unknown shoulder injury. Don't know what that's going to amount to, but you don't like shoulder injuries. 
Keyshawn Nixon, shoulder injury. That did not look good in any way, shape, or form. Awesome play on the play. Also looked really good on special teams. Now he probably is out for some period of time. And John Runyon Jr. goes out with a concussion. So I think only four, though, guys. That's good news, right? I think the only one of those that I'm, that it sucks is Chris Barnes. I mean, concussion, like we know J.R.J. is going to be okay. Hopefully Quay's okay. Nixon, I mean, to my dad, when we were sitting on the couch, was like, looks like he just like just, just popped the shoulder back in. Like, he'll be back. Chris Barnes was on seen on crutches after the game in the locker room, so doesn't bode well. I will add, Andy, I completely agree about him. Like, you, you look at this inside linebacker group before the season starts, you're like, wow strong, strong group. And then all of a sudden injuries. And this is also a contract year for Chris Barnes, right? Like they got him. Yeah. It just sucks. Like they, they got him, I think on a tender. Right. Um, And then this was the year that he had to, like they had to make a decision about him. So just everything about this all the way around sucks. He's an all time good guy, right? Like it's, it's a, it's a guy that you've watched just climb since he joined green Bay a few years back. And to your point, Perry, it's something we've, we've harped on the entire off season of, this this uh, this defense, right? Top of the depth chart is as sexy as it gets in the National Football League, but we're an injury or two away at certain positions from going, okay, what the hell is really going on here, right? What do we really have here? And now, depending on Quay Walker, and I, I by the way, I think we can just unfortunately write off Chris Barnes at least for most of the season, if not all of it. Carted off, boot, entire benches clearing and coming out to dap him up. All bad indications of where that's headed. Uh, but anyway, going back to Quay Walker, I don't know what that injury is yet, as Andy just said. But depending on severity, we could have one of those situations already in week number two thinking, okay, what are we really at inside linebacker now, right? So uh, it sucks it's this early. You hate seeing guys go down every time it happens, obviously. Uh, but but with, with what we saw with Chris Barnes, I imagine the severity is, 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 uh, is high. So it sucks. Ray Wilborn, the only inside linebacker on the practice squad with Quay being banged up and clearly Chris Barnes being out for some period of time uh, wouldn't be unheard of. I would expect probably a Chris Barnes IR and Ray Wilborn uh, move to the active roster at some point this week. I think that's probably uh, a safe bet. Um, Before we close with positives from this game, because there's no way I'm not closing on a positive. I want I want to ask if there's any long term concerns because it was clearly a brutal day of football from the Green Bay Packers and you hate to see that. But any what are what if any are your long term concerns for this team coming out of this game or this day? Um, I mean, we we touched on the obvious one with David Bakhtiari. I know he didn't play, but uh, that is probably the biggest one for me. I think offensively, as we've continued to say, this is a team that'll figure it out, right? You, you have a four-time MVP under center uh, who's still playing, not today, but still playing some of the best football of his career. So I'm, I'm pretty confident this offense will figure it out and end up being a top 12, top 10 offense overall this here in 2022. Um, defensively, I really don't have a ton of long-term concerns, to be real honest with you, right? Like, we, we did kind of the deep dive where we analyzed, yeah, it could have been worse, it could have been better, but overall a decent day. I think it's only up from here for this defense. And the schedule – by no means is forgiving this year, which means they'll be battle tested. And there's always a case to be made for a really battle tested defense. And I think that's what the Packers will be when we eventually get to January and, and hopefully February. So uh, in, in terms of actual execution on the field, I don't have a ton of long-term concerns. I, like I said, I think, you know, Christian Watson, it's a rookie. It's the, 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 that term rookie mistake, right? Like it's a tough break for the kid. He'll figure it out. He'll fix it. He'll be better. I'm pretty confident in that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't. I, I, the, the one thing that we continue to harp on, and I'm sure Perry will touch on this in a second, is this offense didn't really show us an identity today. How long will it take to establish one, I, I guess, would be my, my, my final point on that. Perry? Yeah, I just have two. Um, I completely agree. I'm not concerned about the defense long term. Um, I think it's the identity of the offense, like you said earlier, Andy. Just, like, there has to be some – focal point right like there has to be something that the Packers offense does and does really well that they can always lean on um and I'm just not really sure what that is currently at the moment I'm leaning towards the running backs because they were the only bright spot um but just what whatever that is they need to hone in on it and and feed off that um that energy and that and the energy I just think like when you get down and this is not a new thing from this season. If you would ask me this last season, this would always be my answer is how do you pick yourself up and say, 
I don't give a F that we're down 17, nothing. We are the green Bay Packers and we yeah. can still win this game. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, I have a little bit of concern, like I said earlier, that this is a bit of a perfect storm on offense right now where you don't have the protection and you don't have the receivers to get off the protection and you don't have the blocking on the offensive line to consistently run the football. Like, I just don't know that there's a lot of baked in answers right now. I think once you, if, and when you get healthy and you get this offensive line back to status quo and you get Alan Lazard back and the wide receivers develop a little bit, I think there's answers long-term and I think Tunyon will get going more. Like, I think there's some, some answers there, but right now I think it, uh, I'm, I'm concerned as to, offensive productivity and what the what the plan is going to be until they get to the healthy point that they need to be at. Um, I also think that there's a learning curve that they need to go through very quickly to learn how to play as more of a defensive team. Now, clearly the defense just needs to play better. And that starts with setting the tone when the defense is on the field first, like you've got to be the one that goes out and sets the tone. And I thought they had an early third and long, and that would have been a great opportunity to get Jair Alexander on Justin Jefferson. They don't. Justin Jefferson gets the first down, they go down and score a touchdown. And I thought that was a a tone setter for the game. And I think it's, but it's going to take time to realize that on offense, you need to be a bit more of a ball control offense Um, on special teams. You got to make sure that like Rudy, I I thought the special teams was good in this game, but like, you know, Rudy Ford, you can't miss that tackle because now they're at the 20 instead of down at the 10. Um, Like it's just things like that, that you got like every yard and and field position and every decision uh, really matters. And you can't leave points on the board. Another huge thing, right? You can't, you know, whether fourth and one, whether you take the field goal, Perry, or you better get in. If you don't, you can't miss 75 yard touchdowns. Like this is a different brand of football. This isn't going to be a team that like, all right, you're down 17, but this team can put up 31 points in a blink of an eye. Um, You're just going to have to have a different identity as a football team. I didn't think they played to that identity. And I think that's going to take some time. And then, of course, I've got you know some concern that while maybe only Chris Barnes at this point is is long term, um, you do already start to have some injuries pile up. And if you go into next week, I know it's just Chicago, and I know it's at home. But if there's no Lazard, no Jenkins, no Bakhtiari, if all of a sudden you're without Quay Walker, Chris Barnes, John Runyon Jr., Keyshawn Nixon, like all of a sudden you're starting to get like okay, like this is a pretty decent chunk of the the core of your team that is now missing. So. Um, you know, just some of those things that, that the Knicks and bruises, those would be maybe not long-term concern, but you just hate to see those things start piling up as well. All right. Let's end with positives though. Perry, I'll start with you really quick positives from this game. I do like that Rogers targeted the rookies um, as much as he did. I know that some of them didn't result in positive plays, but I was actually very worried about him trying to force it to like Cobb and Sammy Watkins. And I do think he did kind of like spread, spread it around and, Dobbs ended up having a couple nice moments. So you need to give them those opportunities because you're going to need them in this offense. Um, Obviously AJ Dillon and Aaron Jones are my positives and yeah, that's where I'm at currently. Special teams didn't do anything crazy wrong. Yeah. Special teams is the best group of the day for the Packers. Special (laughs) Special teams were competent and that is all we want. Um, but I know I feel great about the defense going forward. Like, again, like Good. they, I, I don't have any concerns about this defense. Um, and I know that they can play better ball than they did tonight, at least better situational ball, I should say. So we just need to beat the bears at home next week. We sure do. Uh, yeah. Let's just not let that Jeff Justin Jefferson stuff happen the next time we play Minnesota. Right. Uh, yeah. I think Perry nailed every positive from this game. I think, you know, the, the biggest one for me was A.J. Dillon. I, I was happy to see his heavy involvement. You mentioned it earlier, Andy. I think it was uh, I think it was six targets and, and 10 carries or, or something of the like for A.J. Dillon. Uh, heavy involvement. And, and there was multiple instances where, you know, you saw Matt LaFleur trying some new things. I mentioned the, the wide receiver reverses. I think both Watson and, and Dobbs had a shot at that early in the first half, which was unique. I, I don't remember seeing a ton of that uh past years from the floor's offense so that was that was i like seeing him try new things uh obviously probably more out of necessity than luxury right when you need to create more offense without your security blanket like Devonte. so uh again i'm not too low on this team after after an embarrassing loss in week one we did it we did it last year so i feel like we're kind of doing the same thing here in 2022 i'm confident they'll figure it out next week and get a win over the bears and, and then we'll, we'll 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 have a little bit more of an answer of maybe who this team can be in 2022 but my big positive was aj dillon today andy fair enough all right i'm going to go uh, i thought for coming in cold off the bench, Zach Tom, uh, first impressions, really, really good. I think, again, I think he definitely has a, a future on this team as a starting offensive lineman at some point. 
hopefully sooner rather than later, not due to injury to John Runyon Jr. or anyone else on the offensive line. Um, it was great to see Robert Tunyon back. I, frankly, I would have liked to have seen more involvement from Robert Tunyon in this offense. He looked good. He looked spry. He looked agile. And I think that's a very good first step for Robert Tunyon. Now, it's not like exactly like a you know 10 catch, 140 yard, two touchdown day from the guy or anything, but just seeing him out on the field, seeing him look active, seeing him look good, I thought was a positive. And then I thought Quay Walker, definitely a couple hiccups, some coverage things that'll need to get worked on, but you also could feel Quay Walker out on the field, his presence, his speed, his hitting ability. Um, I know obviously he goes out with the injury, but I felt that was another positive for a, a first game rookie. You know, I, I thought in a tough environment, um, I will take what we saw. And I think he's just going to grow from that as well. So those were a few of my positives. Perry, we got to get out of here. Where can we follow you? Tell us what you're doing this upcoming season and anything else you want to plug. Uh, just follow me on Twitter at Perry underscore Goldstein. Follow the podcast on P- at PWSS podcast. We're now part, part of Odyssey. So you're going to get an extra content from us three days a week. And Maggie and I, Monday night, will be live with our game recap. So you'll get to listen to me do this all over again. Way to plug our uh, competitor of Blue Wire on our uh, Blue Wire Networks podcast. Thanks, Perry. You asked me what I'm doing, so. (laughs) Totally very excited for you. I'm totally messing with you. Uh, Alex, how about you? Yeah, congrats, Perry. But come on, Good Karma Brands is where I work. Can we can we slow down with the Odyssey plugs? Uh, yeah, I'm, I get a lot of opportunity to react again here on Monday. Uh, you can join me on 100.5 ESPN in Madison, uh, 12 to 1. I'll be live and local immediately following Wilby and Touch if you want to hang out with me. We'll overreact on a Monday, and then we'll do it as well with uh, former Rose Bowl champions, Tark Solid, Derek Angler. Uh, from six to seven uh, on Monday night. So a couple opportunities today, but get me on Twitter at Alex underscore Strofe. I'm sure I'll blow up your feed with overreactions and, uh, and, and shameless self-promotion. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. You can follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. I'm going to preach to myself and say, it's just one game. Relax. Everything will be okay. This Packers team is still going to be a very good football team, but there is clearly work to be done. Appreciate everyone that joined us today. I'll be right back here tomorrow on the video. Uh, Ross and Jake and Jacob will be right back here on the audio. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Go Pack Go.